Welcome to the Permission to Be You podcast. A podcast which intends to nudge, push, and inspire you to give yourself the permission to be you. I'm Diane Schwerep, and I'm your host. Today's guest is the first person who pointed me to something that I was completely unaware of because I was asleep. Uh, I think it happened during a private message, but I'll ask her in a minute. And she said to me, please keep showing up because when you show up, you impact others like you have impacted us. I think this is the first time I've ever heard the expression showing up. And I thought to myself, what the hell is she talking about? I'm just a whiny old fart. Why, do, why is she encouraging me to, to do that? And then she explained to me what she meant. And I think it's thanks to her that I started to like and then eventually fall in love with me, Diane, as, a, as an individual. This is my personal experience of this wonderful lady. What else do I know? Can, what else can I say about her? Well, she's a mother. She's a grandmother. She's a coach. And she's been awarded coach of the year, I think, twice. Again, she'll correct me if I'm wrong. And she truly has helped me in... She pointed me, actually, she also said to me at one point, also on a private message, I don't think you appreciate that you can be a good interviewer, so don't give that up. And in part, it's why I think part of the reason that helped me to pursue, to, to create this podcast, Permission to Be You. So my guest today is Nikki Barkley. Welcome. Hi, Diane. <laughs> You were really on my wish list. Really, really on my wish list. Oh, that's nice to know. I'm, I'm glad I, um, I made it. We could get a time together. So, yeah, that's yeah. great. So, was I correct in, in interpreting the messages that you said to me during a private message? Please keep showing up. Yeah, that sounds like something I'd say. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I can't... I, you know, we've had many, many conversations, haven't we? So... <laughs> to remember that that particular one but but certainly that's what I encourage in you and encourage in everyone it's what I wish for everyone the most is that we stop stifling all, all of who we are that we just keep allowing and accepting and being in life so definitely mm. and was I correct in saying that you did were awarded Coach of the Year twice? Yeah, yeah, twi- <laughs> 2018 and 2019, um, I was awarded um, International Life Coach of the Year. Yeah, well, really um, interesting awards. They're, they're nice because um, they're voted for by people who you've either worked with or who've been impacted by the work you do in some way, you know. So, yeah, it was a real honour, actually, to receive those okay so I've had 
I've asked this question to practically all my guests, and I, I, I'm curious to know what, what the words permission to be you mean to my guests. What, what do they mean to you? Mm-hmm. I think it's, um, for me personally, it's what I, I guess, naturally do now. I haven't always done you know it's about allowing who you are that very thing that we're talking about that very essence of who we are we can show up that way that it's okay to and so often I mean so many times in my life anyway you know I've um thought to be a certain way was the right way you know and spent a long time trying to change who I was so that I was an acceptable version not realizing that People are going to make of me what they make of me, and it has very little to do with what I do. But the more I can stay kind and loving, which is not 100% of the time, trust me, <laughs> then <laughs> that gives them a chance to show up as them too. And we all have a nicer time. Can you give us an example of... of uh, what it was like for you when you tried to mold yourself into someone who was more acceptable in stories. I like, I'm a sucker for stories because it helps people to identify and then perhaps, ah, oh, yes, I do that maybe. Well, interestingly, I wrote a post this morning on LinkedIn about that very thing, kind, kind of not that very thing, but I am pointing to that thing. So when I was a social worker, one thing that, I was constantly in trouble for was I had a really untidy desk and in my team in fact across the board and in you know the public service we had a tidy desk policy so everyone must have a tidy desk and I I spent so much time trying to be that tidy person I, I was in disarray you know I couldn't see the point of being tidy when I had work to do. Mm. It, it, what looked like chaos to someone else looked like organized chaos to me. And, and, I re, you know, and, and this would cause a real problem, much more of a problem than was necessary actually looking back now. And I see this in in people in organizations as giving relevance to irrelevant thinking Mm. can you elaborate on that well all thinking is irrelevant (laughs) unless you make it so (laughs) i mean what we think is what we think what goes on in my mind is almost none of my business it's like unless i'm noticing it and it's looking like that's relevant and then that seems a thing. But to someone else, like they don't notice that, that it's irrelevant. And, and this was going on between me, my colleagues, and our management and heads of service. This was a real big thing. You know, it sounds nothing, doesn't it? A tidy desk. But a, a tidy desk policy became a massive topic. We were really busy people already we were working with some of the poorest, you know, of, of our communities 
who were having a really hard time. And having to keep my desk tidy was not on my agenda. It really makes a tidy desk irrelevant to me. Yeah, yeah. However, you know, the problems it caused within the team, because some people would be very neat and tidy naturally. And some people were like me, they were very chaotic, there was books all over the place, you know, all sorts of things all over the place, paper clips. And so I and so I really struggled with keeping a tidy desk. And what happened to me was I had to constantly monitor my tidiness. And this is, you know, it isn't this alone, but this is one of the contributory factors that led to stress for me, that led to burnout. It isn't the only thing. There were a number of things that were going on like that in the organisation. And I can see that me taking their thinking seriously too, me getting very serious about them needing me to have a tidy desk was what the problem was. It wasn't even that they required me to have a tidy desk. It was all of my thinking that was backing up and mm. overspilling and feeling serious and tense. And I was not in a position to do good work. So you were getting anxious because of what they were thinking about, you, about, about them thinking about you having a tidy desk. That yeah, caused a lot of stress. Is that what you're saying? Was, it was kind of the first time I'd come across that because I've always been a naturally... Well, I, I would say I'm not tidy or untidy. I'm, I'm neither. I'm both. And I'd always, be, you know, I'd never really given much importance or relevance to how tidy my space was. And then all of a sudden I was thrown into this team that the manager there really gave a lot of relevance to it. And whilst you're trying to meet deadlines and, and deal with the situations that we were in, I suddenly had to think about stuff that I'd never had to think about before. And I, I unknowingly became this person who, I'm a bad person. My desk is untidy. My files wow. are neat. Now, that was really unconscious. It was just one little part of the jigsaw. There were, there were a lot more serious things going on too, you know, in terms of who, who I was trying to be meeting other people's expectations of their version of me was hard can you mention any other aspects which was well, perhaps I, larger than a tidy desk although it seems to me that this tidy desk became really an issue <coughs> it, it really did become an issue i i didn't know it was an issue to the extent it was you know i think i think the importance for me is i'm, I'm doing a lot of work at the moment around stress in the workplace Mm. And I can see that we have so many systems, procedures and policies that people are trying to address and meet and be in line with. And they don't make any difference to the quality of work. And yet, when we're giving our attention to that kind of stuff, we're not actually giving our attention to the right kind of stuff. And mm. we, we suddenly have um, accelerated thinking. I have more to think about than I've ever had in my life. And I see it now. I see it, you know, it happens, it happens around me now. 
um you know if you want some you know i'm assuming you're looking for some meatier stories i've, I've got plenty of those <laughs> you know I, even... I... sorry sorry I, I guess i'm telling the dullest story no no we, no actually, not... you're not because every single story i've had every single guest i've had have their own yeah perception and not only they bring something that is important to to society to know to that helps and you're bringing the aspect of work so i'm curious i'm curious yeah. to know what is what aspects are you addressing in in corporations in organizations that are contributing to stress which could be which could be avoided which need to be addressed so that they, they get a a, a a fully functioning employee who's happy mm. yeah. so i would address corporations this is the conversation i had with nikki are you doing you know what i mean so it's a board yeah totally and i guess just to finish off that point about mm -hmm. stress and, and why i was going there is it was stress you know it was a, it was stress and the build-up of stress and it not being addressed that led me to try to be someone else mm -hmm. because i mistook that heavy feeling for not being good enough why do i feel this way i'm not good enough and so this accumulation of events that some of them were tiny little events like that tidy desk policy some of them were huge events like you know um i was sectioned under the mental health act in the end and so trying to come back into into the workplace with that stigma was really difficult you know and and so the stress continued and i just wanted to make the point of we make an assumption especially in workplaces but in, in all of our lives that there must be some big traumatic event that's happened that's led to stress but actually it's more often that there's a series of tiny 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 idiosyncrasies that have piled up over time that are getting stuck in our mind you can, know, you, that, can you mention them? I, I think it's really important and interesting to address them because people are not aware of these tiny, 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 tiny build-ups that eventually lead to burnout, lead to burnout or to mental well, health issues. Yeah, I agree. I mean, how often do we hear that someone's taken their own life and it was so unexpected because nothing significant had happened? Like no one was expecting it. They hadn't spoke to anyone about it. They hadn't. There was, they looked like there were no signs, you know, no indications that this might happen. Everything looked happy. They were happily married. You know, we, we, we look at those people who are not obviously mentally ill. Now, that was me probably for five years until I had my nervous breakdown. I wasn't obviously mentally ill. I was you know i was a high achiever i did really well work was so important to me everything looked like it was functioning perfectly and were you a high achiever because you were trying to prove to yourself that you were good enough well initially i was a high achiever because i was really good at my job and then somewhere and i, I can't pinpoint a time you know diane it's I haven't got a pivotal moment where it all happened. 
somewhere that switched from having to be a high achiever to prove that I'm good at my job mm. so that other people would recognize that I am good at my job. I had the courts to satisfy. I had my managers to satisfy. I had my young people to satisfy. I had mm -hmm. their parents and my young people who I was serving. I was a social okay. worker. Okay. You know, I had the prison service, the youth justice board. I had all these qualitative standards to satisfy. All that became more important over time than being able to show up and do the job my way you know and so it, it, it was about fitting into these boxes everywhere in my life suddenly started to look like oh, I, I aren't that person and so I would work at being that person while I'm working at being that person the one you know who met all of the deadlines perfectly and actually did it in a certain way so you know I had my reports in two days before they were due rather than an hour before they were due wow. um, whilst I was being that person that was expected and required of me my mind wasn't on the job that I was there to do my mind was on the on me not being able to be that person and we only have so much capacity to retain information to take on fresh information and so when your mind's full of expectations mm -hmm. it's not free-flowing you're not you're not in your zone of genius you know and so i somewhere became and and, and this is why stress is so hard to recognize in people yeah I, i'd I, like to i'd like to address that go back to it it keeps occurring to me to address yeah. these little things that people are not aware of that can accumulate and then reach um so i'd love to to explore that because yeah. yeah. i don't have any experience with corporations or organizations you know when 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 i finally hit a brick wall one morning and couldn't get out of bed i didn't know that i was stressed until that moment yet reflecting back i'd probably been stressed for five years it's a long time so, to be stressed i i just didn't know i never saw the signs no one else ever saw the signs because it looked like underachieving all of a sudden it's like nick is not doing so well anymore nick is not meeting these deadlines as much anymore like that wasn't recognized as stress that was recognized as suddenly i'm not doing well enough you're not performing. I'm not performing. I came very close. It never happened, but I came very close to being on capability procedures a few times because of the not performing. What's that? So capability, capa capability procedures are what an organization implements when someone isn't doing very well. And they can be really useful benchmarks you know because we we are there to work we're getting paid to do a certain job but actually if they're not if they're not looked at more pragmatically why isn't this person doing this job and, and very often they're not stress isn't recognized as a factor of why someone isn't doing the job or if it is 
if we recognize someone is stressed, we don't recognize that we have a part to play in that as an organization. And so there's a few times that probably two or three times I became very close to being on capability procedures. And so I'd been in social services for, you know, 20 years. And for the first 15, I did really well. I was really good at my job. I loved my job. It felt easy. It was totally enjoyable. I was really engaged. I had really good results. And for the final five years, things didn't go smoothly. You know, I started to really resent being there. Couldn't understand why I didn't like the job anymore. And I went like that for, you know, quite a while. And it looked like, a, you know, the deadlines were getting shorter, which they were, you know. There's more agencies that wanted something from us as a service, which there were. Mm-hmm. And all of this takes our capacity, mm-hmm. takes our mind capacity away from us. And so a real good indication that someone is stressed is whether they're facing performance and capability procedures. I'm doing this work at the moment in some um, organizations and it looks to them like they have an employee Mm -hmm. that suddenly doesn't care about the job Mm. yeah that's interesting or they have an employee that just isn't making enough effort and there might be occasions where that's true i'm not saying that that's not true Mm. but more likely you have an employee that is stressed and has not got the capacity to do what they, you know, what's required of them because their capacity has been used elsewhere on other things, usually irrelevant things. Hmm. And so as organizations, we, we need to be looking at this, but because there's no definition of stress, there are hundreds of definitions of stress. No one can agree on what stress is anywhere. Like well, I've, I've looked all over the world. And there's no definition of stress. Now go figure. Now you and I, Diane, we do know that that's, we do know what the definition of stress is, but actually getting this out to organizations is a different thing. It can be as, I was going to use the word simple, but I don't think it is. I'm remembering my own story. I did get to a stage where I was burnt out. It was very I was out of, I was, didn't work for about three months. Mm. It was an accumulation. It was me feeling enormous amounts of fear of being put on the streets again. So I was saying yes to my employer when I should have been saying no, because I was driving for far too long and being away from home for far too long. I was having hallucinations. I thought I, I would see a car right in the corner on a, on a roundabout and it wouldn't be there. I would just slam on the brakes. Mm. So, yeah, stress. I, I know the division of stress. Even stressful thinking as, can be really stressful. I mean, something as silly as, uh, I don't know, uh, just now when I thought that the, Guy was coming to bring to hand me my new driver's uh, uh, taxi pass. 
I was thinking, am I going to make it in time? Am I going to keep Mickey waiting? I had, they was, this was stressful thinking. So even that contributes. Yeah. It, it's, they're all those little things. And this is what I'm, I'm still curious about because you're giving me examples of, say, there's an employee and these capacity reports or capacity questionnaires. Can you give me an example of how, what would you do? I mean, the first question that came to my mind is when you spoke about a person, an employee who seems to not be performing or seems to not care anymore, is why? What is it? And why does it, why are organizations so driven into almost not seeing the person anymore? That's... Mm. In the organizations I've worked, I was, a, I was a sales representative and their whole aim for me was to hit my targets. If I didn't hit my target, that was horrible. It was a real drama and I hated it. Mm. I just felt as if I didn't hit my sales. Well, I was in a sales and I left it eventually because I hated it. But I thought, is this all there is? Am I, am I, what am I trying to prove here? That I can make the sale, that I can get the number? What am I doing? So I'm looking for examples of how you address stress within organizations and what you do with the employee Can, well, without giving yeah. any, any personal deep information. Yeah, of course. You know, I guess the first thing we need to do is understand what stress is, you know, and, and I've just said to you, there's no agreed definition of stress at the moment. And, and part of the work I'm doing, I'm working with Keele University to come up with a definition of stress because I think until we can clearly know what stress is then we're addressing nonsense really you know now I know because I've found out for myself and discovered it and you know and and I study this and I'm working with this is I know that what stress is is an emotional and physical response to a perceived threat. That's your it's definition that of it. That yeah. is the definition. So it isn't a ne it isn't necessarily a real threat. I mean, you know, there's no threat to you or me when <laughs> when the guy knocks on your door, but you felt stress. Yes. And what happened? What stress really is 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 an alarm that that's going on it's it's a call to take stock and decide whether that's a real threat or whether it's an imagined threat now if you were going to answer the door to a tiger <laughs> that was a real threat <laughs> or if you know you, you were going to answer the door and miss the tiger you know the tiger was going to eat you if you didn't get on this call and tell you know you can see and and these are instinctual responses that we've had all of our lives and through the generations and through the thousands of years that humans have been around these these responses are inbuilt to keep us alive and they're also but you know what we miss is we have an opportunity because they're not telling us that there is a threat. They're warning us that there might be and asking us to make a decision. But most of us skip that decision-making part. 
and make an assumption that, oh, that's a threat. My untidy desk was a real threat. Actually, had I really made it, you know, had I really looked at that, stepped back and thought, is this a threat or not? And looked at it that way, I would have realized that no, it wasn't a threat. You see, what I do when it's a threat is I have to engage even more thinking to overcome the threat. When I realize it's not, then I'm in a different frame of mind. I mean, I'm more lighthearted. I'll either tidy my desk or I'll just say, look, I'll tidy it later. Is that okay? Like how relationships then don't suffer. So relationships with who I am wouldn't have suffered. I wouldn't have become that bad person. That I'd have perceived bad person. Yeah. Yeah. And neither would my, my boss have been because if it's going on for me, it's going on for her too. I wouldn't have held it against her had I just stopped and asked myself that simple question. Yesterday I put out a post or the other day, I just, I was inspired by, by a movie and I, a universe, the universe is calling. Mm -hmm. And the question that I posed was, are you having a thought about yourself that is making you feel very uncomfortable and unhappy with yourself, something on that line. I said, and the, the next question I posed was, what if it's not true? <laughs> Which is a bit similar to what you were saying. Is it a threat? Is it a threat? Shall I consider even asking myself that question? And I think we entertain so much bullshit. We entertain so much thinking that is absolutely untrue. And it's the story of our lives, day in, day out, day in, day out, until we perhaps get into the habit of not entertaining them until we do again. Mm. Rinse and repeat, eh? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, this isn't about taking away that capacity to do that. That, you know, that does keep us alive. I've got so many accounts of where that very response has kept me alive you know um yeah. both at work and at home and you know whilst i've been out and about it's it, it that's what it's there for i think what i'm what i'm understanding from all this is flow with whatever is and whatever occurs to you in that moment because that's all you can really do yeah and you've been teaching this for as long as i've known you i think you've become more radical in this and i mean radical in a good sense mm. you've become more life is there to live it live it yeah totally i, I think you can't look in this direction and not realize that most of what we think is bullshit you know, you can't look at yourself day in, day out and realise that you've just been living this made-up version of you. And I think that's, you know, swinging back to what we talked about, about permission to be you, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, Thank really, you for bringing me back. <laughs> you know, it really is. It really is about that. It's about 
as you see this, as you see that most of what we're experiencing is a stress response and we get a choice then because we can ask ourselves that question, is this a threat or not? Hmm. And if it's not, we, <laughs> well, then we've certainly got nothing to, there's nothing else to consider. Hmm. And those people, you know, I also want to bring it back to that point, Diane, about those people that take their lives unexpectedly and, and what are the signs really, what we're missing. Yes. Is it's pure chance. You know, mm -hmm. for five years, mm -hmm. no one recognized that I was stressed. No one would have said that I was stressed. I was a high achiever. I had high standards. All of those, at one point for 15 years, they were healthy things. I did them really effortlessly. For the last five years, those are really hard to do. And so the only real way of knowing whether someone's stressed is to ask them how they're feeling. And how often do we not do that? I mean, we slip it in, how are you today? And never really expect. <laughs> never really. And, and they don't expect to give a real answer anyway. You know, we're, we're not getting to know each other more deeply in our workplaces and in our communities. We're paying lip service to getting to know each other. You know, it's funny that you say, well, it's not funny. I, I do genuinely ask, how are you? and expect to have a genuine response. Mm. And sometimes I find that people say, oh, I'm not doing very well, but uh, never mind. And they don't talk about it. Mm. But I'm really asking genuinely, how are you today? How are you feeling? And it shocks me that, that people don't take that opportunity. I think there's stigma around that. And I myself am careful if someone asks me, how are you? Hmm, what are you expecting to hear from me today? What do you want to hear from me today? Exactly. You and it's, it's this. It isn't that we don't care. It isn't that we're even consciously doing this. We're not skipping over each other's emotions on purpose. We don't even notice that subtle shift in, I'm going to give you the answer that you expect, rather mm. than the truth. And that comes down to not being enough, not feeling like you're enough. Hmm. This has been a wonderful conversation, Nikki. One, I, I never know what to expect. I really, like you said before we started recording, I see what occurs to me and what goes with the flow. I wonder if there's anything you want to add, I think. Um... Nothing comes to mind. I've loved the conversation and, and I'm sure that people will listen and get what they get from it. And, and I think your message, Diane, is beautiful and explore. You know, anyone listening, explore why we might not give ourselves permission to be ourselves. What, what is it that's in our way? Is it a threat or is it a made-up threat? You know, ask ourselves that question. Beautiful way to end the conversation. Thank you for accepting my invitation, Nikki. I really enjoyed it.
Oh, thank you, Diane. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, may I invite you to go to my website, butv.com, where you can find all past published episodes. You can also subscribe by going to the homepage for you to be kept up to date with all upcoming episodes. Bye for now.